if we go too far into truth, that becomes judgment. So truth without grace becomes judgment. If we go too far into grace, grace without truth becomes um, not good. Not good. <laughs> Um, we are holding um, 
dollars in order to qualify or use it, right? So then he immediately, I, you know, a couple minutes later, I got this email and I'm like, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. He um, messaged me and said, hey, um, I'm using a business account on Zelle. Um, if I send you, if I put $375 into the account, can I trust you to, to resend the 300 back? and keep the 75, right? And I'm like, hmm. I'm trustworthy. You can trust me. Like, maybe this is not an issue. So um, then, here's where he really made a mistake. He tried to call me, you know, like on the message, like call, and I'm like, listen, you don't call an introvert at home. You just made a very big mistake. <laughs> about this guy trying to call me at home on my Facebook Messenger. So I go on Google, you know, scam for uh, Facebook Marketplace, Google. Sure enough, it's all right out there. It's a full-on scam. So if I would have sent him back $300, um, the Zelle email and everything was all fake. It was a fake email. And so um, it really wasn't pending in my Zelle business account. Um, he would have got $300 and I would have been out. So that's a great example of greed. The sin of greed is, is it's woven into our nature and our culture. You know, actually, Western capitalism is built on the premise of managed greed. So the desire to want more pushes people to excel at any cost to acquire more. Without this drive to consume, the economies of market-driven nations would grind to a halt. Manage greed. They need us to want to consume. So, we have all experienced it. Promises are made that actually will never be kept. You actually won't be more happy if you buy this particular thing. You actually won't be cute in that bathing suit. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> Choosing the plain of the of the Jordan, we see Laban in deceiving Jacob when he served seven years for Rachel, and then Jacob in defrauding Esau of his father's blessing. Samuel's sons, they were taking bribes. The Jews, God's people, were exacting usury of their brethren. <laughs> Money changers in the temple. Judas.
affected, affected by greed. In fact, here's the thing about greed, is that sometimes because we were betrayed by someone else's greedy choices, sometimes because we were taken advantage of by someone else's greed, sometimes because we were hurt by the greed of others, we made a decision, we made an agreement that that would not happen anymore. We would not allow other people to take advantage of us. We would not allow other people to do that to us. And so in doing so, we build these protective walls and we decide I am the only one that I trust. I will do what I need to do for me because no one else is looking out for me. So I will look out for me. And that is exactly the position that puts us in line to be greedy. Thomas Aquinas says, greed is a sin directly against one's neighbor. Since one man cannot overabound in external riches without another man lacking them, it is a sin against God, just as all mortal sin, inasmuch as man scorns things eternal for the sake of temporal things. Greed is something that harms your neighbor. It doesn't just harm your neighbors. It harms yourself. It harms all formation of relationships. It's so destructive. Greed scorns things eternal for the sake of something temporary. Something that won't last. Something that doesn't bring life. In the book of Luke, there's passage about this. Actually, the Bible is full of passages about um, greed and money and wealth. Um, but in this particular passage, Jesus is teaching us to guard against all kinds of greed. Because greed doesn't always look the way you think it will, especially in your own heart. Guard against all kinds of greed. This passage starts with someone wanting Jesus to instruct his brother to divide up the inheritance which was due him in a more equal way than the culture says it should be done. But Jesus doesn't respond in the way the man in the crowd was hoping that he would. Jesus just went straight to the heart of the matter. If you guys want to open your Bibles, we're looking at Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. Yeah. 
them, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whomever stores up things for themselves. But it is not rich toward God. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, Jesus says. Greed starts to whisper that we're better off on our own. That we can fulfill our own needs. That we don't need anyone else. And that what we do and what we work is for us. Greed becomes a master. That drives us to look for life really in all the wrong it bids for life from things that just can't give it. Uncaring dead things like money, cars, houses, control. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. More is not more. Instead of life, greed steals away life through myth just get that promotion, if we can just save enough to get into, then we will be better. Then we will find life. Then we will have joy. Then I will be content. Then everything will be okay. Then I won't be anxious. Then I will be secure. Then I won't be afraid. Then I'll feel like I'm worth something. Misplaced. And in its place, greed instead brings us death. Death to the things that we put hope into. That didn't change it. It made it worse. Our relationship didn't last through that. It actually was destroyed because of that. But this morning, I want to speak about the one who breaks the chain of greed. Who breaks this death that we bring upon ourselves when we walk in this way. I want to talk about Jesus who sets us free. Who is the true source of life. Amen? So first, we need to keep Jesus in the picture. The rich man, as he's talking, he only sees himself. He only thinks of himself. It's one of the striking things about this passage. There's a lot of mys in this passage. My crops, my barns, my surplus. Notice it's all about him. There's not another soul even mentioned in this story. And even when he needs to talk through what to do, he talks to himself. <laughs> what should I do? Here's what I shall do. The only needs or desires he pays any attention to are his own. His story was self-sufficiency and success. I did it my way. And it ended up being a bankrupt lie. He, did, he never found true life. And that, hmm, that is Actually, 
when I was reading through the incidences of greed, Judas's story sticks with me because I think his story is so tragic too. Judas paid those um, 30 coins of silver to betray Jesus. Do you guys know that, G- that Judas was remorseful? Do you know that after he did that, he actually returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders? In Matthew 27, he told them, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. And they told him that that was on him. That was your responsibility, and they didn't care. And so Judas ended his life in despair. That's so sad. That close to Jesus. And he tragically missed finding redemption. He tragically missed finding forgiveness and freedom and joy and life abundantly. He tragically missed it. What would have happened if instead of running away from Jesus, he ran to Jesus? And told Jesus, I'm sorry. I believe Jesus would have forgiven him. I believe Jesus would have restored him. I believe Jesus would call him beloved. And I believe Judas would be with Jesus in heaven. When shame and sin and pain disorient and disconnects us from the love of God, we need to remember, please remember, do not forget that we are a part of a bigger story. Do not forget to bring Jesus, keep Jesus in the picture. Instead of running from Jesus, run to Jesus so that your story does not end in the same way. We need to keep Jesus in the picture. Luke 9, 24 through 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Second thing, to keep Jesus in the picture, second thing, protect against bigger bonds. Listen, I like a good barn like like y'all. <laughs> Barns are the best. Okay, but we don't need bigger barns, people. Here's a question for you. How can you turn the prosperity of your field into blessings for others? Listen, we all have prosperity in our field. Maybe our Gino right now. But here's what I know to be true. God has blessed you. God has given you so much. God is at work in you, even now. There is prosperity in your field. Let's not build bigger barns to keep it all to ourselves. How can we share that prosperity? What can we do? Maybe you 
need to look at your fields differently. Because the issue here is not what you make. The issue here is not prosperity. The issue here is not what you make, but what you keep. That's the issue of the heart. You have amazing possibilities to advance God's kingdom when you are given much, when he blesses us from out of the overflow of his heart and his love towards us. He fills us with all good things. We have this great opportunity. Sometimes, the truth is, we need some artificial guards. You know, kind of like uh, Pastor Drew was talking about bowling, going bowling, and they have the runners that go in the gutters, you know, so your ball goes, ding, ding, ding. Okay, you all need some of those. I turned southern all of a sudden. Did you know that? <laughs> Remember, this is not an issue of the man feels prospering. That was not the issue in the parable. This is an issue of what he did with it. What will we do with it? What will we do with it? Some people say, okay, figure out how to live and save, and then whatever's left over, I will give. Some people organize their lives in that way. What would it look like if said, I'm going to give, and then I'm going to save a little bit, and then I'll live off of what's left over.
when he was not rich in trusting God. Nor did I know it's just a parable, but nor did it seem that he had a lot of relationships. <laughs> and the purpose of his life ended just like that. All the things that bring life. I need to, honestly, if I'm honest with you, I need to actually, on a daily basis, choose to trust God with the needs, with my own needs, with the needs of my family. I need to do that on a daily basis. Sometimes I need to do it multiple times a day. I need to remind myself, yes, I trust you. I turn to you. I surrender these things to you. I know that you will provide in the way that is good. It doesn't mean that it's always the way I think it will be. It doesn't even mean that it's the easy way. But he will always provide in a way that is good. Philippians 4.19 says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not all the things I think I need, but all that I really need to give him glory. Now that's a thought, right? Because I think when we think about our needs, we think about kind of our tangible needs and whatnot. What if he promises us to give us everything we need in order to glorify him? What if that's the promise? What if the promise is to empower us with his spirit in order to fulfill the things that he created us for? And to fulfill the purposes in which we were made for. What if that's what that promise means? What if that means he's giving us everything we need to walk in what it is that he made us to do? Does that involve suffering? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. The promise here is the love of Christ. The promise is the love of Christ. The promise is he will give us what we need in order to glorify him, in order to fulfill the purposes in which we were made to do. And let me tell you something, there is no life other than doing that. I've tried all kinds of other things. When I'm off course, there's no life in it. It's empty. I am more disgruntled. I am more edgy. I am more discontent than when I am walking in the dead center of God's will for me. There's a peace that makes no sense. Things move in a way. God opens he makes a way where there is no way when I am walking in alignment with the Spirit. It's a whole different thing. And what do I need then? I need the love of my Father. I need to know that He loves me. I need to know that He's with me. I need to know that He goes before me and He stands behind me. I need to know that He will send me, you, to walk with. I need his truth and his grace. I need the word of God. He promises to give me everything I need in order to glorify his name. Amen? Amen. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. 
which is what this life is all about. Second Corinthians says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. Everybody say abound. Abound. You will abound in every good work. Because God is all about abundance. He's about abounding. He's about a generosity that fills us to the top and then flows out. And when we put ourselves in the driver's seat our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we drive ourselves straight towards destruction. But God's world, God's kingdom, is opposite. His is always about advancing the kingdom of God so that all will know. Advancing the kingdom of God. Why? So that I will have peace? So that I'll feel purposeful? No. Filling me with purpose is so that others will know. It's to share from the abundance in which he gives me, right? To share in the abundance. To move forward. To give out. Worship team, will you join me up here? I'll stop shouting and come. (laughs) There's not a single good work God has ever or will ever call you to do for which there will not be sufficient resources to do it. If he wants you to do it, he provides for the doing. Sometimes we decide we're going to do something and find ourselves without resources. And that's when we need to stop and say, is it God? God, is this what you want me to do? If he wants you to do it, he will provide for the doing. In fact, I often find that that's how I know that it's him, is because I have nothing to give to this. He asks me to do things that are beyond me. I'm like, Lord, you know how you made me. I have this crazy mix going on inside my personality. That's how I know it's from him. Because when I step into those things, who am I glorifying? I'm glorifying my father. And what will that do? It will draw others to my Father. And what will that do? Their hearts will be changed, and they will be saved, and they will have life in eternity. They won't end their life like Judas. They won't end their life like the rich man. Instead, they will have life for eternity. Do you want to be a part of that? I do. I want to be used. Here's my little fish and my bread. one that makes the difference. And I get the great honor of glorifying him in the middle of all of it. Isn't that amazing? I love this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus.
God prepared in advance for us to use. When I think about the rich landowner, he prepared, his, he was preparing to just take his extra and store it for himself. God is the opposite of that. God is love, and love is the opposite of greed. God loved us so much that he gave his only son Whoever believes will have eternal life. God in his love gives out. God isn't doing it for himself. When he made me, when he made you, he created you to go and do good works, to love on other people, to draw them closer to him so that they could be his too. Thank you.